First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I want to start this morning by just simply reading the passage that is before us. So it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may, may be one without a, without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be in the hidden person of the heart, which, uh, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who, uh, who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Everybody got it? Good. Let's pray. We'll get out of here. All right. But on a serious note, this passage is one of the reasons why preaching through books of the Bible verse by verse is so important, because there's no way that I would have woken up Monday morning and said, you know what I want to do on Sunday? First Peter chapter three, verses one through seven. So this is inescapable. We have to deal with it. And so at first glance, it may seem, without understanding the context, it may seem that Christianity is primitive, outdated, archaic, irrelevant, especially when it comes to how men and women relate to one another. However, once we understand and get this context, we will see how relevant and practical the Word of God actually is. We'll see the beauty of what it means to both mean to be feminine and what it means to be masculine, how both, when seen in light of the gospel, are worth celebrating. And so before we get into the details of this text, I want us to understand the context. Uh, Peter is writing to a church who is suffering. This is a scattered church of believers who are Suffering, And although they are suffering, Peter still calls them to be different, to be holy, to be set apart, to be, as he says, exiles earlier on in chapter 1. They realize that this world is not their home. And so in chapter 2, uh, what Peter begins to do is say, this is one of the ways that you are going to be exiles. Even though the, the government that they were in were causing persecution in their life, Peter still tells them to submit to them and respect them and to pray for them and to still display the gospel. And so what he starts to do is he moves into the way that he wants them to be exiles in how they submit. So he talks about how they submit to the government. Later on, he's going to talk about how they submit to the church. And now he's talking about how submission works in the home. And so with that, Let's look again at verse 1. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to. Some of your translations say, submit to your own husbands, so that if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now, there's a knee-jerk reaction 
when I read this passage, and there's a few reasons why. Number one, because it may seem, first of all, that man and woman are not equal when you read this passage. So that might be one of the reasons why you have a knee-jerk reaction here. Number two, because men are not worth submitting to. And number three, because we live in a fallen world. And so let me begin with what hopefully we can all agree with, and that is we live in a fallen world. I want to tell you first off, out of the gate, that God's design in creation was that men and women are created in his likeness. Therefore, men and women are created equal in God's sight. And this is shown from the very beginning of Scripture. You see it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, after he created all of these things, he said, Let us make man in our, the Trinitarian Father, Son, Spirit, Godhead, and our image after our likeness, and let them, let man and woman have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over all livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and he makes it very clear. He says, in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Now, for more teaching on this, I would encourage you to go back and listen to a sermon series that we did on God's design. We looked at the first three chapters of Genesis. We did this back in the fall, but we covered a great deal around gender roles. But but here's some of the major points in the creation account. God created both man and woman equal in his likeness. You even see it later on in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. He says that they are heirs together. Men and women are heirs together under, the, under King Jesus. Adam and Eve were the first examples of equality between male and female. Men and women were equal, yet they were designed to be distinct. They're equal, but they have differing roles. The differing roles were to complement one another, not compete with one another. However, the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they took the fruit in which God commanded them not to eat, they not only inherited the curse of sin, but roles became distorted. Roles between man and woman became jacked up. Instead of Adam loving and leading, protecting, protecting Eve, he takes a back seat in the relationship and he idly allows her to lead. Instead of Eve desiring to follow Adam as her servant leader, she now wants to lead Adam. And if you even read in, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, the text actually says, because of sin, her desire is for her husband, which literally means her desire is to rule over or control her husband. And so I show you all of this because Peter is challenging husbands and wives to what, to what he's challenging to do here is something that wars against their flesh and our flesh. We don't want this type of submission. We don't want this type of relationship in marriage. But what are you saying with Christ? Husbands, we can do this. We can lead. We can love. We can serve. Wives, we can submit in a way that God allows you to submit. However, what Peter is doing, he's, what he's doing here is he's bringing them back to their created order. He's taking them back to God's design with husbands and wives. And so 
Does this mean that women are inferior to men? And I want to say emphatically, absolutely not. There's not a hint of that in this passage. In fact, it's downright denied in this passage. Just because the husband is given the leadership role in the marriage does not imply that he is inferior. Let me give you an example. Even within the Trinity, even within the Trinity, there is submission. The Trinity is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus made it clear throughout the Gospels that he submitted to the Father. Does it mean, though, that the Father was uh, more than Jesus or more God than Jesus? No, that would be impossible. They were both equal God in essence, yet the Son submitted to the Father. They're equal yet distinct in their roles. And the same thing goes for marriage. The differing roles between a man and a woman are to complement the differences in their roles. This is why the theology is called complementarian. We complement each other. We're equal in essence, differ in roles. And I always say that to be a good complementarian is to be a good trinitarian. You look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. You look at how different they are in roles, but they are equal in essence in the same way goes for marriage. And so to say that submission would make you inferior, would be saying that Jesus is less than the Father, which would be heresy. This is a few things I want you to know here. The idea of wives submitting to their husbands is shown in several different places in the New Testament, yet here it pri- primarily we see it in 1 Peter chapter 3 and Ephesians 5. In both places, the text reads, wives submit to your own husband. And so here's what this passage doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that a woman can't lead in the workplace. It doesn't mean that a woman can't lead in government or society. It doesn't mean that a woman can't be the president of the United States. This is not what the passage is talking about. The text doesn't say women be subject to men. It says subject to your own husband. This only deals with matters in the home. And here's something else the text doesn't say. It doesn't say uh, follow an abuser. It doesn't say enable sin. It doesn't mean that the relationship is based on fear and intimidation. In fact, it says the very opposite. Look at verse 7, the other verse that gave you a knee-jerk reaction this morning. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. I will explain it, don't worry, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers might not be hindered. Now, without weaker vessel, it sounds awesome, all right? That's the one you're like, I don't care what everybody says after that. I don't even care. But it's important that you understand what it means. It doesn't mean weaker in terms of intelligence or even capacity of leadership or wisdom. It doesn't mean that men are necessarily stronger than women in a spiritual sense. But here's what I believe the text is showing. I believe it means physically weaker. Hold on. The word, the key word to understand that is the word vessel. The word vessel is used throughout the Bible as uh, the human body, to refer to the human body. Generally speaking, most husbands don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, all right? 
Generally speaking, most husbands can overpower their wives physically. I know there are some ladies in this room who can hold their own. I don't want to find out, but I'm assuming. But generally speaking, across the board, generally speaking, men are physically more powerful than their wives. So what Peter is telling husbands to do with their wives is he says, live with them in an understanding way, show honor to them as the weaker vessel. Here's what he's saying. Don't use your physical strength to intimidate her, men. She's not one of your bros. You don't relate to her that way. Don't raise your voice at her when you talk to her, when you're fighting. One of my greatest regrets as a husband is being intense when Jess and I are in a disagreement. Look, I'm a pastor. Like, I believe what I say is right. And I can passionately defend myself well and quick, I think, right? And so when we're getting to it, no, no, you don't understand. You think my hand motions are crazy now, like you should see them in my house. <laughs> you know? But I need to learn, like, look, she's not sitting in a congregation, right? She's not one of my bros. I have to talk to her differently. I have to talk to her gently. I don't want her to be afraid of me. Men, your wives should never be afraid of you. And ladies, even those of you who are dating, if you already see this problem where you're living in fear of your boyfriend, you probably need to run. The guy that you're dating is not to intimidate you. In addition, he's not, to, he's not called to lead you like a husband would a wife. He hasn't married you. He doesn't have a job. He can't provide for you. He still leans into his mama. He's not good for you, right? So he's not to intimidate you in these ways. And if he isn't surrounding himself by godly men, you need to leave. You need to get out of that situation if you're dating this type of men. Ladies, submission doesn't mean that you get run over or you become a mindless lemming who all you say is, yes, dear. It's not godly at all. So how's a man supposed to love his wife? He says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Peter is calling men to know their wives. And this is really difficult. Heard a pastor named Tony Evans once say that there's two times a man doesn't understand his wife before he marries her and after. (laughs) But what Peter is saying is, when you ask her, hey, honey, what's wrong? And she says nothing. That's not true. That's not true at all. It means that you need to dial in, bro. Look, I love you. You need to dial in. You need to say, you need to have a loving, deeper, non-interrogation-y conversation. I made that word up. With her. This might mean that you have to do something that that you don't want to do. And it's to have a long conversation with her. Get to know her, understand her, know her hopes, know her dreams, know her cares, know her insecurities, know how to compliment her, notice her, men. 
Live with her in an understanding way. When she gets a new dress, tell her that you like the way that she looks in the new dress. When she gets her hair done, say something. So how does this all work? Men are supposed to lead in a way that honors and respects their wives, and the wives are supposed to submit. Practically, how does this work out? Well, Peter is challenging men and women to step out of what is comfortable. And so here's some practical applications based on this text. Based on this text, men are supposed to use their position of authority to serve their wives more than themselves. So here's how this looks. For me personally, when Jess and I come to an, a, a disagreement, or, or we come to an agreement that we have to, I have to decide, some, we can't come to, a, to an agreement, I have to decide something. I have to decide, is this a time where I have to think of the best interest of my family? And if not, I honor and serve her, which means I choose her interest over my own. So let me give you some practical things. When it comes to decisions on where we eat, I don't say, you need to submit to me and eat where I want to eat. What do I like to eat? I like steak. I like baked potatoes covered in everything. What does she like to eat? Mexican food. Where do we eat most of the time? Mexican food. Why? Because I want to serve her. I'll eat steak in a steak burrito. That's when I get my steak. But I choose that because it's the way that I serve her. When it comes to what the house looks like, she picks it out. Honey, pick out whatever. Thank God she doesn't like the color pink. But she picks it out. When it comes to what we do on the weekends, look, I look more like a mountain man, right? Do we go to the mountains? We go to the beach because my baby likes the beach, right? I'm not made for the beach, y'all, all right? But I'm learning to deal with the beach. So where do we go? We go to the beach. I don't say you submit to me and we go to the mountains. No, we go to the beach. And I'm learning to love the beach because I'm living with my wife in an understanding way. The more I love the beach is because the more I love her. When it comes to me having a guy's weekend or having her go away with her sisters or her friends for a girl's weekend at the beach, right? I choose her trip over my own. And I'm not saying this begrudgingly. I'm saying this because I really want to serve my wife. I love when Jess gets to go away with her friends, away from the kids and away from interruptions. Now, when she goes away, does that mean that I call my parents to have them come bail me out and watch the kids? No, it actually means that I watch the kids. And I do that and I try to build culture with them. They love it. And then what I can do is, does that mean that she gets home with dirty dishes piled up in the sink and the house is a mess? No, that means that I make a game out of chores. <laughs> and there's a reward system involved. And there's a, the house is cleaner when she gets there because I want to teach my boys to serve her as well. And look, I'm not up here saying I do all this stuff perfectly, okay? My wife's going to be at 11 o'clock service. I'm going to have to dial this back a little bit. <laughs> But these are some of the ways that I've tried to understand. I've tried to understand my wife 
and honor her. And here's the thing. Here's why I want to do all those things, men. All right? You're already you're sitting here trying to write me off. You listen. Here's why I'm trying to write. Here's why I'm trying to do all these things. Because I want her to win in these decisions that are small. And won't have great impact on the longevity of our marriage and our relationship. They won't. But I want her to do these things and know that I am for her so that when it comes to the big decisions where I have to step up and I have to leave and I have to make the hard decision, I want her to know I've had your best interest in mind from the get-go. And you can trust me right now when it's difficult. I want, to, I want her to know that I'm for her when the big decision inevitably becomes. So here's examples of some of those big decisions. What kind of house do we buy? What neighborhood do we live in? Buying big purchases like cars or how we want to give to the building campaign or how we want to display generosity. Maybe we have deeper conversations about overcommitting to things, working through how to not overcommit. Man, we're, we're, baby, we're too stretched. We got we to gotta pull back. That's where I step in. That's where I lead. When, when, it talks, when it comes to the boys and their education, when it comes to the overall spiritual health and the vitality of our family, when it comes to approaching big topics with our boys where maybe they're dealing with a, a discipline issue, maybe they're dealing with a gospel issue, maybe they want to know more about who Jesus is and what he's done, that's what I need to step in. That's where I need to lead. When it comes to the issue of talking about sex with one of my boys, That's where I need to step in. That's where I need to lead. When it comes to something of chasing their hearts, Jess and I work together and we try to have those conversations with the boys, but it's where I need to step in. It's where I need to lead. And I want to tell you, I've met with so many young men that are confused because their fathers never did that for them. Father never talked to me about the gospel, never talked to me about sex. Mom did, though. This is where you men need to step up and lead. And you ladies are going, you don't understand. There's no way I can trust my husband to do that. The only thing he's good at is playing Fortnite. And I can't trust him to do anything responsible. But here's the thing. Ladies, let me tell you this. This is part of what it means to submit in this way. You have to let him answer to God. I once heard someone say that spiritual leadership is God telling women to duck so that he can punch the man in the face. (laughs) A lot of men don't lead because they've never been put in a position to lead. Maybe they lack confidence because it was never given to them by their father. Maybe they had an overprotective and controlling mother who always made decisions for them, and they never learned how to make one of their own. So what do they do? They married a woman who, again, makes decisions for them. But ladies, here's the thing. Some of the most desperate women in the world are not single ladies. Some of the most desperate women that I've ever met, met are women who are married to a man who doesn't lead. And so what do they do? They take over and they try to lead themselves, which makes them feel not protected and not safe. Ladies, let him answer to God. Notice again verse verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word 
by, con- by the conduct of their wives and when they see your respectful and pure conduct. How are they won over? He says, respect and pure conduct. He's not talked to like a child. He's not being put down. He's not being insulted. One of the greatest things that, that Jess does for me is she refuses to put me down publicly. Sometimes she's around different ladies and they're all about beating up on their husbands when they get into a group and she doesn't do that. I love that about my wife. There's a lot of negative things that she could say about me, but she chooses not to. It doesn't mean that she doesn't confide in other godly women and and we're struggling and we're working through conflict and she needs counsel, but she does it for that reason. And so when it allows me, because she respects me and she wants to build me up and to give me pure conduct, it, I feel respected and built up. And by the way, it's not attractive to be the woman who tears down her husband. It's not attractive to be the woman who tears down people in general. In fact, these aren't even feminine qualities, ladies. God has naturally made you to be the nurturer, not the aggressor. It doesn't mean that you can't be competitive. It doesn't mean that God hasn't, uh, but, but it does mean that God hasn't made you bitter and mean-spirited, which means you don't walk into a room and your identity is built on sizing everyone up. Those are not feminine qualities. Look at the text. Verse 3, he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be in the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in which, God, in which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Now, a lot of this is cultural. You see gold jewelry, you see braided hair, but the big idea supersedes all of the cultural bounds, and it is this. Don't let what you hold so important and what you so deeply cherish to be based on the outside, which is what you wear, the brands that you carry, your social status, your social media presence. Don't let it be what's on the outside. Because that's the world's beauty. And it's cheap, ladies. It's cheap. Peter says that's not the beauty that you need to care most about. The beauty that you need to care most about is your godliness. How does he describe this? Verse 4, he says, with a gentle and quiet spirit. He doesn't say quiet. He says quiet spirit. In other words, she has a voice but she uses it wisely. She uses it not aggressively, but she uses it gently. She doesn't come off arrogantly trying to prove something, but her beauty is found in her careful wisdom. One of the most beautiful women that I've met besides my wife is a lady named Miss Pat. Um, she She was a key member of a church that I served at long ago, and it was, she was in her 70s, and um, she, I was serving at this church on staff, and about the same time I met my wife, I was, I was serving at this church, and when my wife would come visit me where I was living at that time, she would actually stay with Miss Pat, and we would sit with Miss Pat. Miss Pat was a widow. She'd been a widow for quite some time. I think her husband 
passed when she was in her early 60s. And she gave her life to serve other people for the sake of the gospel. And she was physically a very attractive lady. But what made her such a magnet for people to be around is how she carried herself. How she exuded a certain level of confidence, but remained humble at the same time. Never had I heard her say a bad thing about any of the other ladies or any of the other men in the church. But when she did have conflict, she always addressed it, addressed it with clarity. The church was in disarray all the time. We always were rotating, rotating in and out of leadership and pastors. It was a high turnover. She always remained faithful to that church, still thinks she is today. And I, I remember you never see her at the center of gossip. But she always, if she had a conflict with somebody in the church, she just went to it head on and had a good gospel conversation. And if you ever asked her about it, she would say, yeah, we were able to talk to it. And just always positive and confident in Christ. If you even see pictures of her beautiful, physically attractive woman. But then as she gets older, her natural physical beauty fades. But what begins to show more than that is her inner beauty, her godliness, her patience, her wisdom, her grace. And I was so thankful that in my early 20s that my wife got to be around someone like that. And the text even says, for this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own Husbands. Now, I want you to see this. It doesn't say that just because you submit, ladies, that he will lead. Men, it doesn't say that just because you lead, she submits. That's not how it works. We strive to fulfill our roles, not to get something out of the other person, but we strive to fulfill our roles to honor Christ. Paul says it this way, Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You do this to honor Christ. It means trust Christ even when your husband isn't completely walking with the Lord the way that he should. Again, this doesn't mean follow or abuser. It doesn't mean to enable sin, but it does mean give him the opportunity to succeed. Give him the opportunity to fail. Give him the opportunity to get punched in the face. Don't you punch him in the face. Give him the opportunity to get punched in the face. Give him opportunity to lean on Christ. You even see it in verse 6. I wish we had more time to, to go over this, but verse 6, you see the example of Abraham and, and Sarah. He says, okay, Sarah followed Abraham. We, we did a series on Abraham this past fall. Did Abraham make mistakes? Yes. Did Abraham get punched in the face? Yes. Were there po- times that she probably shouldn't have submitted to him? Yes. But the overall picture, she did. And what happened? They followed the Lord, and then through following the Lord together, did that make him better? Did that make her better? Yes. Guys, in the same way that the wife submits to you as unto the Lord, you are called to do the same for your wife, to lead her in that way. Look at verse 7 again. Husbands, lo- live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not 
be hindered. Notice it, so that your prayers might not be hindered. In other words, part of your holiness before Almighty God is how you serve, love, and lead your wife. And when you don't do that, your relationship with God, based on this text, will be greatly affected. The prayers hindered really means that the man who isn't doing this isn't walking in repentance. Men, I want to tell you, your number one ministry is your wife. That's it. Not the church, not even your kids. Your number one ministry is your wife. You are called to shepherd her, protect her, and build her up in Christ. Ephesians 5, 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Notice the relationship that the husband has with the wife. He stewards this relationship. It's not really your wife. God gave you this gift of being your wife, but you steward her, you protect her, you nourish her. He says she's presented before the God as holy and without blemish, meaning she's left better than the way that you found her. This is the opposite of what happened in the garden. Adam went into the garden and destroyed the garden. He left, the garden was left worse when Adam left the garden. But you can be a better Adam because of what Christ has done on the cross. You can leave things better than the way that you found them. This is what the gospel does. Everything here is in response to the gospel. That's what Peter is calling men and women to. Men, if you look at the example of Christ as just explained in Ephesians 5, look at how Christ laid down his life for the church. That's the example that you have, men. Lay down your life for your bride. So we have these pictures of the gospel, and we say, okay, what do we do with this? Well, whatever season that you're in, many of you in this room are married. Many of you are not. And statistics show that most of you who are not, you want to be. And you most likely will be. And many of you who are not, you're listening to this message and say, well, I'm definitely not now. Thank you for this message, right? But all people, let me, let me just plead with you. Wherever you are in our lives, let's just start with the ladies. Would you, would I, can I plead with you to cling to the gospel in these ways? Ladies, will you strive to be known for your inner beauty? The beauty that made you a daughter of God. The one that calls you to walk in humility and in grace. The one that's not try, trying to draw attention to the wrong things. The one that, build, that doesn't build on drama, but on doing whatever you can to further the gospel. That's Peter's goal in this text. He wanted to see a church that was different than the rest of the world. So would you, so would the world know you by beauty that is more significant than your outer beauty? Wherever you are, ladies in life, single, married, 
divorce. Wherever you are in life, would you be known for that? Men, will you learn to leave things better than the way that you found them? Will you begin to take responsibility and lead in the smaller things now? And when you not wait on a wife to bail you out and hold your hand to get you to grow up, will you grow up and mature now? And for all the married people, wives, will you grow up in, in understanding and respecting your husband? For some of you, that might mean dialing it back a bit. For some of you, that might be standing up for what's right and actually having an honest conversation with your husband about the state of how he's leading. But would you do that in a respectful, loving, and gracious way? Will you challenge him or allow him to lead? And when, you, when he fails, will you graciously help him see the gospel in that moment? Husbands, will you serve your wives? Will you know your wives? Will you lay down your life for your wife? And that doesn't mean that you are willing to take a bullet and physically die. It means denying of yourself, looking at her own interest over your own. Will you not use your position of authority to intimidate or manipulate her? But would you be humble in losing the small things so that you would build trust in her and have opportunities to lead when it actually matters? And so let me just say this to both husbands and wives. This is never going to be perfect, ever. If you're looking for a perfect marriage, you're not going to find it. For those of you single guys, if you're looking for the perfect lady, you're not going to find it. For those of you single ladies, if you're looking for the perfect man, you're not going to find it. We are here as exiles, friends, which means that nothing's going to be perfect until we're in heaven with our Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect relationships will only happen there. So can I plead with you specifically, you married people? Don't use this as an opportunity in the car ride on the way home, which I think there's going to be some interesting car rides on the way home today. Would you not use this opportunity to say, see, this is why I can't, we can't get along, because you're just like this. No, would you take this opportunity right now to examine your own hearts? Don't use this opportunity to think about the other couple that you know have the issues Examine your own hearts. Allow the truth of the gospel to work in your hearts and to motivate you to walk in humility and repent where it is necessary. May that be us this morning. God help us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace in our lives this morning. Lord, I just